and you just breathe in and out and you let your stuffed animal buddy go up and down and you're just, you know, you're just taking deep breaths and you're focusing on your breath and you're trying not to think about anything. You're trying to just let go of a lot of the things that have happened during the day. Were you going to ask something? Well, so what if your belly is big and the stuffed animal keeps falling off? (laughs) Hello, Rachel. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So something pretty intense happened recently. <laughs> yes. And and I think that you should share your recent experience with folks. I, I I would really like to hear in your own words, from your own point of view, what happened. Share the drama yeah, well, of this story with us. I've kind of gone over and over it like, how could this have been avoided? So I got up on Tuesday morning. Tuesday is our laundry day. And I did a pretty intense workout. I was a little bit tired because I'd gone to bed too late the night before. Um, But I managed to, you know, sort the eight loads of laundry that we have every week and was on my way downstairs with the first load and noticed that Ben's laptop bag was at the end of the stairs. And so in my mind, I thought I need to avoid that. Well, somehow to my body that translated just jump the last few stairs. (laughs) I didn't actually jump. I fell the last like three stairs and the laundry went flying and I landed on my foot in a way that, that broke the top of my foot. Like it, it rolled and it rolled intensely enough to break the top of my foot. And, um, I lay there on the ground and I had, thankfully I had my cell phone because I knew that I couldn't make it back up the stairs. And why couldn't Be- why couldn't you make it back up the stairs? Because the pain was so intense that I was like blacking out and um I could I could barely even think. Some somehow what my body does whenever I am in am in intense pain is it just my blood pressure drops completely and I start passing out. Hmm. And so I called Ben's phone and he didn't answer. I called again. I, I called like six times. Wait, didn't I, I thought I thought it went and I came to the rescue. No. Unfortunately, I crawled back up the stairs <laughs> while my vision was black and spotty. If you can't see me right now, I'm I'm putting <laughs> I'm like burying my forehead in my hand. Just Yeah. I, I feel terrible. I feel and for for many reasons I feel terrible. Yeah. You know. I whose, crawled back into the room. And, yeah, exactly. There was a lot. There was a lot that was uh, could have been avoidable. Um, and apparently, you had your phone turned to where you wouldn't hear any calls or something like that. So you know what I wasn't taking care of. What responsibility? <laughs> That's true. That's a soundbite. That's the only one I have. Yeah, for now. It's me. It's me saying the word responsibility it's not responsibility anyways i didn't i didn't fulfill my responsibility in this situation yeah but you came up and and you had to wait you had to like crawl up to the bed like pull yourself up off of the floor (laughs) and the only thing that woke you up was when i like laid into the bed yeah and 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 so immediately 
I was kind of panicked and stuff. And then I, and then I started kind of coming to and realizing what was going on. And I said, yeah, we, we're going to have to take you to like an urgent care doctor and, and stuff. And I remember going downstairs. <laughs> this is only funny in retro. I know. Like it, it's, this isn't very funny at the time, but I remember going down the stairs and seeing the laundry basket, like the way that it was sitting, <laughs> it literally looks like somebody just dropped it at the wrong spot and laundry was everywhere. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was a great picture of what had happened. I wish that there had been some kind of video camera where I could go back and watch it just to like see how exactly it happened. But it's, it's almost like the moment before it happened, I saw it happening in my mind. Yeah. But I, it was just too late. I couldn't do anything about it. You're, you're one of those people who likes watching other people suffer. <laughs> Not suffer, just fall or humiliate themselves. Yeah, yeah. That's why you laugh at our children. Yeah. So they, like, they fall down and they're crying. And you're laughing because it looked really funny. Yeah. That's okay. It's okay to laugh at your kids. <laughs> and yourself. I can look back on that and... and know that I probably looked pretty hilarious. Yeah. And now you're sporting a very fashionable boot. I must say boot. Yeah. Mm. Somebody, I don't, I'm not, I'm not even going to, no, I'll, I'll do it. I'll say it. Somebody a couple of days ago was saying, so would we call this show in the boot <laughs> with Ben? And I said, that doesn't make any sense because I'm not wearing the boot. And they said, no, listen to me. Rachel is in the boot and she's with you. I said, oh. And that's not funny at all. Yeah. It's true. So. In the boot because of Ben. In the boot because of Ben. Yeah, I like that. We're going to change the name of the show. No. <laughs> so tying this into today's topic. Had you had a better nighttime routine, had, had you had kind of a better night's rest the night before, do you think that you might have avoided that disaster? I don't know, because I was kind of in a hurry. And, you know, when you're in a hurry, you make stupid mistakes. And you don't, you don't ever realize that until the mistakes happen. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, it could have totally been pre prevented. So I don't know if more sleep would have made me have less hurry. Maybe like starting a load the night before would have made me have less hurry. <laughs> well, I don't know. But, I mean, okay. So maybe, maybe if you'd had a good nighttime routine, you would have fallen asleep sooner and you would have woken up feeling more refreshed because I think sometimes that hurried feeling that we experience comes from us feeling like, Oh, th this day seems overwhelming and I've just got to, you know, scramble to climb on top of it as fast as I can. Yeah. Whereas I think when we're rested and feeling very healthy, we tend to feel like we can conquer the day and, and that it, it's really like this day is ours to conquer. It's not something that we have to fight and scramble to, to overcome. Not like you're running behind the entire day. Yeah. Or something. I'm, I'm of course trying to make a better case for it our topic. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I take responsibility. It's okay. So today we're talking about nighttime routine and uh, specifically the seven stages of a successful nighttime routine. Okay. 
And I, I wanted from the very beginning to go ahead and bring this question in from Corey because I really liked it. And, and I kind of want to use this as a disclaimer. He says, uh, is there a one size fits all to nighttime routines? My wife and I have done loads of traveling in the last year. And so our daughter's sleep schedule and timing has been all over the place and thus hasn't been able to be the same every night for her whole first year. We've read loads of books, talked with loads of people, and we've really just had to find our own rhythm, however ex uh, eclectic it is. And so to, to that question, I would say absolutely not. There's not a one-size-fits-all. And, and, and I liked how, what you said in the chat room. I wasn't sure if you were responding to him. Yeah, I was. Oh, okay. Well, well, why don't you go ahead and say that? Oh, well, I just said that I don't believe that there is one-size-fits-all. I think that there are certain... Um, parts of a nighttime routine that can be beneficial, but that we can use those in whatever way we want to with our family or that we, or that we need to, because, you know, I mean, we do a pretty extensive nighttime routine, but that doesn't mean that somebody else has to follow it to the T because, you know, we're all our own families and there are different things that are important to all of us. So. Yeah. So, so kind of the same way that we read books and kind of glean, based on our own personal experience, what works and what doesn't we, I mean, we test things out and we, we find, okay, this doesn't work with our family and we throw it out. That's, that's what we want. We want this podcast to be really two people who are, who are parenting from their values, sharing their personal experiences, things that are working, things that are not working, things that we're learning, things that we're discovering. And then for you to be able to be encouraged by those things, and to maybe see your family in some of those things and try some things out, maybe maybe get some ideas that you didn't have before or confirmation that what you're doing is working. So right. most of all, we just we want you to to feel encouraged and and to know that we're not here to tell you how to raise your family. Yeah, I mean, we're just we're here to be support and help people know they're doing a good job and give techniques if they're interested in knowing those things. That's right. So I asked the question in the chat room, and this was a great illustration of kind of how everybody does things differently. And, and I said, what is the one thing that you must do or that, that your children must do before going to bed? And Christopher Bernal in the chat room, Bernal, Bernal said, we start dimming lights and bringing the activity levels down. I'm a big fan of the dimming lights thing. Oh, yeah, we do that, definitely. Dim the lights, set the mood. That's right. Brooks Eggleston said, I write out a list of tasks for the next day and prep my computer to do them in the morning by closing or hiding browsers and distractions. I usually do this when my wife showers, which she needs to do before bed, likes to feel clean, etc. when falling asleep. So those, th those were actually two answers. Some people got to... Take a shower right before they go to bed. Yeah. Corey Miller said, my wife and I brush our teeth and then she sings to our daughter before putting her down. Music is a big part of our family and our daughter loves it. It's very cool. So, so there are so many different ways that you can approach the nighttime routine, so many different elements that you can bring into it. And what I wanted to accomplish today was just highlighting seven things that really help our family, really help our kids to wind down, to kind of reset.
for the following day because really the nighttime routine, though it does help with um, getting the kids to calm down and, and to not be so wild and stuff like that and stay in bed when they should, because that time, <laughs> that time at the end of the day when it's just the two of us and we yeah. need to relax, that's really important. Um, but really even more than that, it sets the tone for the next day. And I, I think just in general, that's a really good thing for people to realize is that your day doesn't begin in the morning when you wake up. It kind of has its roots in what you do the night before. Absolutely. So, so you could even, I mean, if, if you don't have kids yet, you could even take some of this stuff for yourself. So stage number one is self-care. And this is kind of your basic like bathing and brushing your teeth, putting on your pajamas. Um, for some of the kids at certain ages, we'll go ahead and put lotion on their skin to keep it from drying out, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I will say here too that there are some thoughts that sometimes the warm water that kids get for their baths makes them a little more hyper. And so like adjusting that to be in the morning can always happen. But I think for us, we've always done it at the night because, you know, we have a lot of kids and they all need to do it at the same time or relatively the same time. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and necessarily we have to have them bathing together, which adds to the wildness. Right. Yeah. But there are some things that I've found and, and this is kind of woven throughout all of this is a word I really love. And, and really, I feel like this word is kind of woven throughout family life, and, and that is ritual. Mm -hmm. And ritual is, it's just kind of those things that are unique to your family, those things that are unique in your one-on-one -on -one relationships with each of your children. And, and, and so it's those things that kind of happen, and then, then they become a, a regular thing. And then it's almost like it would be silly for you to go through your nighttime routine and not do this thing that you always do. Um, right. An example of that with bath time has been, I'm, I'm not doing it as much now, but, but the boys would insist every single night that I fill the cup up with hot water, mm -hmm. not scalding hot, but just hotter than the, the bath water that they let get cold and, and just kind of run it over their backs. And that had a really relaxing, calming effect on them. Huh, I didn't know you did, did that. I, I usually like read to the older boys when they're in the bath. No. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of split the boys up. Like Ben takes the younger, I take the older, which that's, probably won't happen for much longer, but. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's right. That's kind of, that's kind of a, a ritualistic kind of thing. They, they come to expect it and it just, it becomes this other element to what otherwise is kind of a so so as an adult you might have a thing where you listen to a podcast when you get in the shower or when you get in the shower that's the time when you think or when you brush your teeth like you count the number of brush strokes <laughs> you know I, whatever that is but but the reason self-care is so important is especially for our children it's kind of like any other thing that you own that you take care of that kind of needs maintenance. You know, it, it's, it's something that is valuable to you. And because it's valuable to you, you take the time to take care of it. 
And when you take the time to take care of yourself, what you're communicating to yourself is that you are valuable. I am valuable. I'm worth keeping up. I'm worth maintaining because the value that I add to the world is hampered when I'm not taking care of myself. Yeah. Now, I will say that the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that kids have no fewer than like four baths a week. So we kind of try to like every other day it most right. of the time. So And that's absolutely okay. Because, yeah, it, I mean, it's overwhelming to give a kid a bath every single day, especially if they're not actually getting dirty, you know, every single day. Although boys smell. They do. It depends. <laughs> okay, so... So there are some people who really feel strongly about that you've got to bathe every single day. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you? I, I grew up that way. And it wasn't until I started doing some research and seeing that not only it's, it's not about like you can get away with. Yeah. But, but some studies even suggest that it's better for you because not when you. Not to bathe every day. Yeah. yeah because when you, when you bathe, uh, especially when you shower, it, it tends to remove the natural oils from your body and, and dry your skin out. And that leaves you more prone to skin infections and that kind of thing. And, and it causes your immune system to have to work harder to, to take care of those things, which takes resources away from other things that it should be focused on. So there's, you can, you can look into that yourself. Yeah. The jury's still out on that one. I just wanted to give a disclaimer that like, we don't do the 30 minute bathing every single night because it gets a little overwhelming. Yeah. I, but I like to point to the scientific stuff as I was like, that's why it's not because, you know, it's easier for us. Yeah. But really, but the really truth is, is probably is. <laughs> Responsibility. So the next stage is reading aloud. And I put, I put the reading ones in here. There are actually two stages that are covered by reading. Um, well, and, and maybe three, if you're talking about the the last one more than that really now that I'm looking at this okay. but reading is such an important part of our family life and it's not just because we enjoy reading but we've we've seen and experienced the the personal benefits of reading and we want our children to experience those same benefits yeah and so the the reading aloud the the reason for reading aloud is because it's kind of a performance in a way it's entertaining and it's a form of play and so anytime you have an opportunity to connect with your child through play you're engaging with them at their level mm-hmm. and there are ways that you can connect with your child relationally that are more suited to your preferences and, and more suited to your uh, way of communicating and, and they'll connect with you, but when you kind of get at their level and you play with them and you speak their language, it creates an even stronger connection. And so reading aloud is is one of the ways that you do that. And it's, it's not just the connection piece either. I mean, from the research side of things, reading aloud to kids teaches them language and it teaches them reading ability because, you know, when they're asking for the same books over and over, they can pretty much speak the entire book from memory. And then as they do that, you know, they're learning words on the page. They're learning literacy, which is just a really cool thing to see. And I, and 
that's why it's such an important thing to us because there are a lot of studies out there that say boys are not quite as good at reading as girls. And so when we became the parents of sons, that became something that was really important to me was teaching our boys to love books and to love reading. And one of the ways that you can teach your children that is to read aloud to them. And and like I said, it's a form of entertainment and it's a form of play. And so not only are they getting those benefits that you're talking about, it's it's kind of like when you exercise. Science has shown that when you work out intensely doing something that's kind of monotonous, mm -hmm. you don't get as much benefit from that as you do when you work out through some form of play, like playing basketball or playing soccer or something like that. Your body actually responds better to play than it does to work. Yeah. Or, or to what is perceived as work. So you're saying that if, like, when they bring home their early readers from school and we have to make them read from it, that's not quite as... Yeah, that's not quite as powerful as when we're reading something to them and, and they're, they're just sitting there enjoying it. Yeah. And because of how much they're enjoying it, it's opening up more channels in their mind to receive the benefits of that. Yes. And it's also something that they begin to imitate. One of one this is this is more just like a parent benefit, but it really warms my heart. Yesterday, our oldest, who's eight, uh -huh. he was looking at uh Asher, our our baby, who's what is he, three months three old months, now? Yeah. He's just looking at him there in his swing and saying, I can't wait until he knows how to sit up because I'm gonna read stories to him. <laughs> and he will too. Yeah. And it's, and, and they have, they have read stories to one another before. And it's just, that's really sweet. Yep. The next part of that. So, uh, stage three is reading silently. And the, the important part of this is that it's done together. We're in the same room and we don't do, uh, these, these are pretty quick. Like the reading aloud maybe takes between eight and 10 minutes. Yeah. The reading silently the same. It's about eight or 10 minutes. Uh, I usually it's about, do about 10 minutes. Yeah. It's about what our kids can tolerate. Yeah. Being but, silent for that long. <laughs> exactly. The reason it's important that we're doing it together is because most of the time, until they get a little bit older, they have trouble just sitting there and having something in front of them um, and, and just looking at it. And so the, the, they'll kind of wonder a little bit. And as their eyes wonder, they see us, they see the parents and, and the older siblings sitting down and, and just focusing on something and reading. And, and it's just kind of a demonstration. It's an example that they'll imitate because they're a part of this family. Right. And, and it's also powerful for kids to see their parents reading things on their own because then, then it's not just us saying, Hey, it's important that you learn to read and it's important for you to read but they also see us actually doing that in our lives. So it's something that feels true to them. Yeah. Yeah. How effective is it when you tell your kids to do something and then you don't do it yourself? Right. That, and that, that sounded a little bit shaming that happens all the time in our house. I feel like probably more so with me than it does with you Yeah. where, where I'm a little bit of a, a hypocrite. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've said to you before, hey, we all need to be listening to this story or, hey, we all need to be sitting down and doing silent reading because <laughs> I'm, I'm always going to do it. 
because I just love reading, but yeah. You know, one thing I forgot to mention with the reading aloud is this was, this is kind of a speculative thing for me, but I wonder if that also kind of teaches them to focus on your voice so that other times when you're not like reading to them, but you're trying to talk to them or you're trying to impart some wisdom or, or give them some instructions, they're more conditioned to focus on what you're saying because during that reading time, when you're reading aloud to them, they're practicing listening to what you're saying. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is too, like books can teach us things, you know, so we can find books that have these amazing themes and that teach them courage and honesty and humility and those kinds of things. And it's not just mom and dad saying, I mean, this is a whole other podcast because I'm extremely passionate about reading to kids and, but you know, it's not just mom and dad teaching them these lessons. It's people like them who are learning these lessons. Yeah. So. All right. So, so stage four for us is prayer. And this is something, uh, because of our, our personal beliefs, we've made this a part of our family life, but there are some very practical things in here that I want to pull out. So even if you don't have a religious practice or a spiritual practice, there are some very practical things you can do here that are beneficial. Mm -hmm. And kind of what, what prayer does for us is it becomes a space where we can express our needs and desires and also express gratitude. Sure. And so I want to, I want to focus on the needs and desires part first and kind of the, the, the thing that really makes all of this work is the fact that we are together and as a, as a family together, expressing our needs and our desires, just, just being able to say those things and know that other people are hearing them and that we're not alone, that, that people have heard us, even especially if we can articulate back to the person who's sharing that, what it is they want or what it is they desire, that can be very powerful. Yeah. And it's not a promise that those things are going to happen. And sometimes, you know, when, when we encourage the kids to talk about what they desire, the things that they're dreaming, you know, they'll come up with stuff that's pretty off the wall. Yeah, like, please let mama have a little girl. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. That's a or some big wood. I got to oh. <laughs> knock on that wood. Anyways, the point is not to try to get them to focus on that and, and want that and, and feel like it's going to happen. It, the, really, the focus is being able to express that and not feel like they're going to be judged. Right. It's a safe place. Yeah. And, and for the needs, it's kind of the same thing. Sometimes, sometimes you don't realize what a person needs because they haven't had an opportunity or they haven't had a place to express that. Mm -hmm. And so it's happened a couple of times where during that time I'll hear something and I'll be like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't even know that was something that he needed. And, and so it gives me the ability as a parent to look at ways that I can meet those needs. Yeah. And also to hear the ways, the things that your children name as what they're thankful for is a pretty cool thing because, you know, we, we think about being thankful for all these big things in our lives and stuff. And, but kids are like, 
I'm just thankful that we had broccoli for dinner tonight or, did they you know, ever, did they ever say that? Probably though, not really? broccoli, but pizza. Yeah. And, and just things like that, you know, things that we take for granted. So. Yeah. And, and that gratitude, it also, it positions your mindset uh, or it, it places your mindset in a much healthier place. And doing this before bed, it just kind of sets you up to think more positively about your circumstances, about the things that you experience the following day. And it kind of becomes this cycle where the more positively you think about things, the more you tend to experience things positively. And absolutely. And that and that continues to make you think more positively about things and it and it just kind of pushes that. It's a very powerful force. And negativity is also the same way. When you start to think negatively about things and focus on negative things, you see more of the negative in your circumstances. Yeah. Which causes you to experience more negativity, which causes you to see more negativity. And so thankfulness and expressing gratitude is one of the proven ways that we break that cycle of negativity and, and we allow ourselves to focus on and experience positive things. Yeah. I feel like that's a whole other podcast too, teaching kids how to be grateful because kids are hardly ever grateful. Yeah. But they can get into the practice of it. And for us, one of the big components of this is that this idea that there are things that are outside of our control that are in, in control of something that's bigger than us. And so that, that, that kind of does two things. One, it says, I'm not in control of this and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult, especially for children, because a lot of times they don't feel very powerful. They don't have authority to make certain decisions and, and they're kind of being told what to do most of the time. And so to highlight this idea that things are not in my control, well, they know that. Yeah. But, but to help them understand things are not in my control and that's going, and, and I'm going to be okay. Those things that are not in my control are being taken care of. Freeze us up, freeze them up to look at the things where they are in control and feel powerful. Yeah. I agree. And that kind of leads to this next stage, which is meditation. Now, meditation for kids is a little <laughs> bit. Like three minutes. Yeah. Top. Three. Yeah. <laughs> I think our record is like two minutes and 47 seconds. Yeah. But. Something like that. Rachel actually started bringing this practice into our family. And so I'd like for you to talk a little bit about what you learned about meditation and some practical ways that kids can actually do that? Well, I've, I've been interested in meditation for a long time. And, uh, one of our boys, the oldest one was struggling with anxiety and just, uh, sometimes acting out at school. And so I was trying to find every way that I could to help him be successful, to help him let go of some of that anxiety and in the process myself, because I'm kind of an anxious individual as well. And so um, I came upon these practices for kids and there are all kinds of books about like meditation with kids, these exercises that you can do with them, little games that you can play that are meditative. 
Um, but the one most frequently that we do is uh, you bring in a stuffed animal buddy and you put it on your belly and you just breathe in and out and you let your stuffed animal buddy go up and down. And you're just, you know, you're just taking deep breaths and you're focusing on your breath and you're trying not to think about anything. You're trying to just let go of a lot of the things that have happened during the day. Were you going to ask something? Well, so what if your belly is big and the stuffed animal keeps falling off? <laughs> that is a problem with kids because they think it's hilarious when they can, you know, the first few times are a little rough because, you know, kids it's a stuffed animal and it's fun to knock it over and it's fun to play with it and things like that. But they start to get the hang of it. And I think that as parents, we sometimes put a little more pressure on those types of things. Uh, because like going back to the reading aloud piece, you know, we used to want them to sit and just be quiet and that kind of thing. But one of the things that I learned is that they can be doing headstands and they're still listening to the story. Like they can still repeat to me exactly what happened in the scene but sometimes their listening looks different than our listening. So in the same way, sometimes their meditation looks a little different than our meditation. So where I can stretch out on a floor and almost fall asleep because I'm so relaxed, you know, they're so twitchy and have to move and things. It's it's really just the practice of it that's getting them, you know, it, it, they start to learn how this works and what it feels like and what their body feels like when they're, you know, in those few seconds that they're actually not moving. Kids are twitchy. <laughs> so, so we've actually started with the two older boys who are eight and six. We do a little longer meditation later on, like outside of the, uh, outside of the nighttime routine, because it's just so beneficial to kids. You know, they learn mindfulness, they learn how to calm down when they're flooded with emotions. And it's just really, it's really beneficial for them to have those tools. Absolutely. There's, there's something that I haven't read this. Maybe you can confirm it, but I've just been thinking about the whole breathing thing, you know, focusing on your breath. Why is that, why is that such a powerful meditation practice? Why does, why does that tend to bear all of these different healthy kind of fruits in us? And I think part of it comes back to what I was talking about with the previous stage of prayer and, and feeling like we are powerful and we are in control oh, um, absolutely. Of, of certain things. And breathing is an involuntary action. It's something that your body does when you're not thinking about it. Now, I'm, I'm very glad that I don't have the same kind of control over my heartbeat or other, oh, yeah. <laughs> other functions in my body that I do over breathing, but I can purposefully take over this process of breathing. I can, I can take over how much breath comes in and how much breath goes out. I can take over how slowly that happens or how quickly that happens. Right. And, and the, I wonder if the feeling of taking over something that is otherwise normally outside of your control kind of helps you to, to feel like I am powerful. I am in control of this thing that is involuntary. Well, and it's also, it goes back to self-awareness as well. We can feel more powerful when we're more self-aware. And the way that we can be most self-aware is knowing how we're feeling and, and breathing and being in control of that breath. And because, you know, when we're feeling frustrated or hurried or panicked, our breath comes really fast, but we have the ability and we have the power to slow that down. 
and to to sort of i mean i i always envision this like calmness just pouring through your body so yeah the sixth stage is personal connection and personal connection for us looks well it's it's looked different throughout the years mm-hmm. um for us right now it looks like a thing that we call snuggle time and snuggle time is about 10 to 15 minutes of one-on-one time that we take with each of the boys on on a different night of the week right and you so you'll take one and i'll take one and we'll just have one-on-one time and throughout the course of the week we're able to cover each of the kids right and and it's the time when we just let them do what they want to do within reason. Like they're not getting on computers and they're not doing that kind of thing, but it's something they do with us. The twins always want me to read to them. So that's what I do with them. My eight year old and I are brainstorming a book that we're writing together. And that's what he always wants to do. And it's just a time when like no other children are asking us for things and we can just focus on this one child, which is, it's such a special time because that doesn't often happen in our house. (laughs) Even during snuggle time. Yeah, even during some <laughs> snuggle time, we can be interrupted. Yeah, but but that's the the purpose of that is just to have that one on one time, and and even even if you don't have, I mean, it's it's challenging for us because of how many children we have. But but even if you ha- don't have ten minutes of one on one time to give to your child, um, just a, like thirty or sixty seconds of just being in front of them and saying, "Hey, I see you." Uh, I, I know who you are. I have, I haven't forgotten about you. You're important to me. Yeah. And you know, like you're going to bed and I'm not going to see you all night and I'm going to miss you. And I'm excited to be able to see you in the morning. And, and, and just that kind of personal connection, reestablishing the relationship and, and the meaningfulness of that relationship is, is really important. Mm -hmm. And it's not something what I've noticed is when I haven't done that, it's not something that the kids, you know, come to our room necessarily and say, Hey, we didn't, we didn't get our personal connection time and I'm feeling a little bit neglected. They don't, they don't know how to articulate no. that. That ends up coming through in other ways. Right. That, that feeling of, yeah, that feeling of disconnection, that feeling of, Oh, I don't, I don't have the attention. Like my, my, my mama or my daddy aren't, they're not thinking about me. Right. You know, and so so establishing that connection is really important. Absolutely. And I'm going to bring the rituals thing back in here. This has been a time for me when we've kind of come up with our own fun things. Uh, I do. I I don't know where this came from, but one night one of the boys asked me to give them courage. It, it was from one of our family values. Oh, that, okay. That yeah. We speak yeah. courage into each other's lives. And so I don't know if they were expecting me to like pull courage out of my pocket and give it to them. You know, <laughs> so, so I kind of on the spot, I came up with this idea that I would rub my hand very fast on their chest mm-hmm. and, and it would kind of create that warmness, you know, that the friction causes and the warmth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the warmth. <laughs> and, and I said, that's, that's courage, that warm that warmth that you feel on your chest is courage. And so now it's become this thing that I 
kind of have to do every night. Yeah. But, but I love it. And it's, and they kind of, it, you know, they, they get tickled by it and they laugh and they think it's really funny, but, uh, but it's kind of become this really meaningful thing. Like I'm giving them something that they, they need that I don't actually tangibly have to give to them. Right. But they, but they feel that. Yeah. Should I talk about drunk daddy? <laughs> no. No. No, there's there's a new ritual. I I promise, I promise. I do not get drunk. But for some reason my oldest said, "Hey daddy, can you act like a drunk person one night?" And so I just kind of did this play acting thing where I was like I was talking to their door and the door was pushing me around and stuff like that. <laughs> And, and I, I had an altercation with the door and they thought it was hilarious. And so now every night they ask me to do drunk daddy. Yeah, they do. And I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. I just hope they don't talk about it at school. Yeah. My daddy does drunk daddy. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe you're listening to this and, and you're thinking, wow, that's really strange. But, <laughs> but I hope, I hope that you're listening to this and you're thinking, that's really strange, and I'm so glad that our family isn't the only one that does strange things like that. That's what I hope. Yeah. All right, so the last stage is quiet time. And this is just a time for them. They get to be in their beds, and they can either, and, and in our family, they can either write in, in their journal. journals mm -hmm. or they can read. And, and those are the only two things we'll allow them to do. The lights are dim. We've got some uh, essential oils diffusing. And so it's, and, and maybe, you know, we still have some calm music playing somewhere. We, we turn on the box fan so that there's some nice white noise. And it becomes a time when they can kind of just be to themselves, be in their own worlds and their own heads and kind of accomplishing maybe the same thing that Brooks was talking about where he, uh, in his earlier comment when he said, I write out a list of tasks for my next day. It's just kind of a time when you can brain dump, when you can allow your mind to settle. Yeah. And they don't always take advantage of that. Nope. And then they get really mad when it's time for lights out. I'm encouraged by that. As frustrating as that is for us to be like, okay, it's time for lights out. And they say, but I didn't get to, because they were playing with Legos or something like that. I, I like that they, they miss that when they don't get it. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, I don't, I don't always, you know, sit down on my bed like I want to and read or write in my journal. Sometimes I get caught up in something that I'm working on on the computer or, yeah, uh, or there are some things that I didn't finish during the day that I've got to take care of, but I always miss, I always miss that. And as much as I can, I try to go back to that. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing about routine. You know, this isn't, this isn't something where when you get off, your world falls apart. Um, a routine is more a guideline than it is something that you absolutely must do every night. And I like thinking about it that way because many nights we end up going off of the routine a little bit. Yes. But, but knowing that there's something solid there that's kind of tethering us to our values, knowing that there's always something that we can go back to where we can anticipate what the steps are and what's going to happen. There's something very comforting about that. 
And it also makes the times when we deviate from that routine kind of exciting. In yeah, a way. like a vacation type. And I was going to say, too, that, um, it, you know, our, our we've been very intentional about not making our lives quite as crazy as, you know, you know, like our kids aren't in sports. And so we're not running around everywhere. That's going to change, obviously, when yeah. they're they find other interests. But but there are times that we have something to do on a Wednesday night or something. And sometimes what I've tried to do is bring books with us so that in the car on the way home, you know, we're having our reading time because by the time we get home, it's already too late to do all of this stuff and they just need to go to bed. Yeah. But sometimes part of continuing the rituals is doing them differently, you know, either doing them at different times or doing them in the car when you can all breathe together and do meditation together. And so I think that there are ways to make the rituals look a little different, but also still stick to the ones that are important to your children. So, you know, the, the reading aloud piece is really important to us and to our children. And so we take it with us on the road and, yeah. and those kinds of places. And sometimes that's looked like instead of us actually you know, having a, a book there with us and reading it while we're in the car, putting on an audio. Oh yeah. Where we all listen to an audio book. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the fun and freeing thing is you can, when you're not in the same environment, you can still find creative ways to bring some of those things in. But really the focus isn't on the practice itself as much as it is on what that practice accomplishes. Yep. So just to recap the seven stages of a successful nighttime routine, our self-care, you know, the bathing and the brushing and all that, reading aloud. Oh, we didn't even bring this in, but yesterday, this is on the self-care thing. Yesterday, we said, okay, everybody, it's a nice day outside. I, I had the hose like propped up on the pergola <laughs> and, and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to turn the hose on and we're going to do bath time out here. And so I grabbed the soap and I brought it down. On our back deck. Yeah. And it kind of worked. Yeah. It was like a sprinkler. It was like bathing in a sprinkler. They got water all over the house. Yeah, they did. But it was fun for them. Yeah. All right. So self-care, reading out loud, and then reading silently. Prayer. And, and this is, again, expressing needs and desires and expressing gratitude. Meditation. Personal connection time. And then quiet time where they can spend some time just to themselves. All right. Do you have any thoughts or anything to add to that? Um, I was just going to say for the quiet time piece at the end, because this, this whole process seems like it's a really long process, but I think each stage of it gets kids more and more ready for bed, you know? Yeah. So the quiet time piece on the end of it is sort of just this practice that we do to try to get them ready for sleep so, or, or to get them like in their beds, you know, laying down, reading a book or writing in a journal, because those are kind of calming things anyway. They ease them into sleep. Yeah. And, and that's kind of something I do want to point out is, you know, we've spent the last 40 minutes or so talking about this, but really this whole routine doesn't take 40 minutes and you definitely don't want to feel like well, I've got to spend, you know, 15 minutes on each of these things. It's really like whatever 
whatever level of attention your kids have or whatever time you have to work with, you know, just kind of fit it into what you're doing and don't feel like you've got to do whatever the full version of that looks like to you. Yep. All right. You know what I'm really excited about? What's that? This is, this is more for the live listeners because if you're listening to this and you're not in the Sean West community, then the show is already launched. But this is, this is the last show we're recording before the show launches officially. Yes. And so we've got this episode and episodes one and two already recorded. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, we have 100 episodes. Who knows? <laughs> but you can go to intheboatwithben.com. That's where the episodes are. If you want to find Rachel... She's at racheltolson.com. Yes. And she's got a new website up. Yeah. It's still kind of where, what is, what is the thing? There are some broken links right now. But pardon our dust. Yeah, pardon our dust. Yeah. Under yeah. construction. But it's got a lot of live links that are really fun. So Yeah. So so your your writings and stuff like that, all of, all of the writing that you do lives there. Yes. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Tolson, and you can follow Rachel on Twitter at Rachel Tolson. Responsibility. All right. You got to get some other sound bites. No, I, I really do. <laughs> this was good, though. Yes. Thank you guys very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. So I was thinking about something earlier. One of the one of the things that we do to kind of help out the babysitter while we're recording this is we'll put on a movie. Yeah, it's kind kids. of cheating, I feel like. Maybe a little we bit. We pay somebody to watch somebody watch our kids. No, we watch a movie. <laughs> we pay we pay them to make sure that our children do not interrupt the live broadcast. Yeah, which that's is true. very important. Yes. So so but I was thinking it it seems like to me that the villains in today's kids' movies are not as scary as they used to be. And, and the reason I'm thinking this is because we have Netflix and I don't like know. We've, we've gone back. Well, just hear me out and then okay. you and then you can tell me I'm wrong. But I've gone back to some of the stuff, you know, like from the 70s or 60s and 70s. And like those villains were really scary. Well, I think the the filming was darker than, you know. Well, I'm not, and I'm not just talking about live action stuff too. I'm just, I'm talking about even, yeah, 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 like Sleeping Beauty and Snow White, the witches there. Our boys won't even watch those movies. No, it's it's really strange. There's the new version of, or the the newest version of Fantasia, which is a Disney Disney movie that has classical music and and a cartoon. new version. Well, it's it's uh, Fantasia 2000, oh, okay. as opposed to the one that came out a long time ago. So 
Fantasia 2000, it, you know, there are some villains and stuff like that. They're part of the storylines, but it's mostly kind of fun and upbeat and, and, and not too scary. But I remember like in one of the songs in the old Fantasia, there's like this big devil thing that comes out of the mountain <laughs> and he's got glowing red eyes and he's, and all of this demons are flying out of the volcano kind of thing. And I was like, man, I like, I don't think I could let my kids watch that. <laughs> they would have nightmares. Well, I think, I mean, there, there are some theories that we've gotten a little too precious in our parenting. Like we protect our kids from too much. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I remember sitting on my dad's lap while he watched Friday the 13th. And I would dream of Freddy Krueger scraping on my window. <laughs> I mean, just, that, it's creepy. That's creepy. so messed up. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. We lived out in the country. It was super scary. I had dreams of like being in the middle of a road and he's like standing there and we try to run over him and he hangs onto our car and is like. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to have nightmares. Obviously, I remember these things from when I was like eight. <laughs> I don't, so. I don't remember though, as a kid, I don't remember being frightened. I mean, I, re I remember, f you know, feeling like, oh, those villains are scary and bad and stuff, but I don't, I don't remember feeling like frightened by kids' movies. Yeah. The way that our kids seem to be frightened by them. It's, I don't oh, know. Oh, I weird. was. I remember, I mean, even Goonies, which is like one of my favorite movies now. I remember being so terrified of all those skeletons. Oh, maybe, yeah. maybe it comes down to personality. Like I'm a super anxious person. And yeah, so maybe it does. Well, I, you know, my imagination runs away with me. And, and I will say, so there is a, there's a newer movie. It's the, the, uh, a Christmas Carol. Oh yeah. The CGI version with Jim Carrey. Very, very well done. But there's a scene where one of the characters, like his flesh kind of, turns into dust and falls yeah. away from his bones and our oldest son like he still remembers that even though we don't watch the movie like if he sees the cover he immediately thinks of that yeah. part and he's like oh that's yeah i know. don't want to watch that movie yeah it, but he's an anxious kid too you know like the personality definitely comes into play yeah so it's interesting i guess uh i guess we should just not let them watch movies anymore. No, it's valuable for kids to bring up conversations about death and those kinds of things within yeah. reason. I like you know. the way, I like the way Brooks says it in the chat room. He says, there's so much homogenizing of the danger in family films when in reality, kids learning about danger is really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And, and, and there's, Oh, go ahead. Well, there's, there's value in talking about those kinds of things. You know, like when a kid watches a scary movie talking about why was that so scary and what is it, what is it about it that we can, you know, what would you do in this situation? Role playing type things. There's yeah, value so, in that. So if you were in a valley and, and you were playing with your brothers, you know, like running through a field or something, then all of a sudden the sky went pitch black and a huge devil man came out of a mountain and his demons <laughs> flew out. What would you do? Fly away. So they don't have wings though, do I'm they? I'm just kidding. What would you do if a witch was dressed as an old woman and handed you an apple? Oh, there you go. You know, that's like stranger danger right there. Stranger danger. You can talk to them about 
people offering you food when you don't know who they are. That's right. If a, if a man had a bunch of little tiny robots that all came together and formed like hands and stuff like that, and he was chasing you, and he had a mask on, a kabuki mask, how would you get away? Is that the Baymax one? Yeah. I was confused because the robot thing. Well, Baymax is a robot. No, I'm saying because the guy who was who was wearing the mask was not a robot. I know, but he was using. Oh, was, he was using the he was robotic using pieces. Robots. Okay, was, yeah, I see what you're saying. And he was controlling them, anyways. Nanobots. That's what it was. Yeah. Nanobots. <laughs>